Released on Sunday, June 15th, 2014, This Agile Life, Episode 53, Nat Crap Chart. Our exclusive sponsor tonight is Codeship. Codeship is continuous deployment made simple. Try Codeship for free. Setup only takes three minutes at codeship.io. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Joining me today and in my home office slash studio, Amos King. Excuse me, John. Sorry, I just farted. Wonderful. We're in here like a Dutch oven. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. No problem. God, that smells fantastic. Oh, the, the podcast is already off the rails. Also joining <laughs> us tonight, Lee McCulley. I'm uh, in my basement, and there's lots of room, and it's just me. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, you're fortunate not to be here in the tiny in our my tiny office. At least we have a fan so that it can quickly dissipate john can you take your hand off my leg any <laughs> any problems we, we may uh we may be we may be in trouble lee <laughs> let's see how this goes okay folks tonight we're going to talk about uh some agile practices kind of a, this is kind of a wild card episode because we're going to put some things out there we haven't really prepared our statements as much as maybe we have in the past uh, but tonight we're going to take take a couple of sides of maybe s- some various issues. And the first question I put before you all tonight is, what practice would cause you to leave a team? So the basis of this is, what I wanted to do is ask, like, what are your favorite practices that get used on teams? But I thought that that would be too boring. So I'm changing it up a little bit on you guys. And I want to know, if a team did this particular thing, it would probably force you completely out of the team. Let's start with Lee. Okay, so for me, I I really enjoy the fact that I can come home to my family every night, um, and then I'm happy about what I got accomplished during the day. So to me, if I was regularly having to spend more than, than 40 hours without my uh I usually spend more than 40 hours, but it's because I'm just enjoying what I'm doing. That's different. But if they force me to uh, to spend more than 40 hours a week on a regular basis, then I am out of there. That something is wrong on a manager side, management side. Something's wrong with the process, and uh, I am I am not going to stick around and and ruin my my uh, my health because of the stress. Okay, Lee. So you mentioned that. You do more than 40 hours, and I think a lot of us do, mostly because, like you said, you enjoy it, right? I mean, there's, right. You, you like the job, you, you'd probably go home and do, do this anyway. Almost, it's like a hobby for you, right? Exactly, and a lot of times we, I, I come home and, uh, and there'll be some particular problem that I could have spent time at work to, to spike out or something like that, and sometimes we do, but sometimes they're, not, they're kind of off the beaten trail, but it's just some idea that occurred to me during, during work hours and I just want to try it. And so I come home and spend some time trying stuff uh, on a laptop or on a, on a VM or something like that at home and take it back to work if it turns out that it, it, was, it was good. So. 
Well, let, so let me challenge you a bit on this, Lee, because I, almost any hour that you would put in at a place where you didn't like it would feel like forced time, right? If you just didn't like the place and you didn't like the work and maybe you didn't like the the type of an application that you're working on or the language or or the lab. Your coworkers. Or the lab that you were forced to work in. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there, there's a big difference. Like, I know some places here in St. Louis, unfortunately, that um, have, like, bunk beds in the lab. And that's kind of a big push to, like, try to get you to stay there. And that kind of bothers, bothers me. So the bunk beds are encouraging you to sleep there? Oh, they have one guy that stayed there, I think they said, 80 days without leaving. Did he just not like <laughs> his family or his house or something? Oh, I don't know. He said that they had a release, so they got to keep going. Maybe he really liked the job. That's true. If you like the job enough that you stay there 80 days straight, more power to you. I love you. So Lee, is, it, your job. is this really a, a thing of overtime or is it if you if you didn't like what you were doing that it would be it, a problem for you? It, well, it sounded like to me that go back to Tyson. Are you story. Lee? I, I'm sorry. I keep jumping in here. I, I'll just shut objection up. leading the witness. <laughs> Shut up. I'm back. I'm back. Okay, so, so to answer your question, John, uh, it is about overtime because you asked what would make me leave. So I can, I can put up with uh, a particular project or a particular team even, or even a particular uh, management style that I don't care for, or I don't necessarily agree with uh, for quite a while. It's not like I haven't done that before, but, uh, but if it gets to the point where I'm constantly being forced because of bad management practices to spend my extra time and, and my time with my family uh, at work, um, then that, there's only so long I will put up with that. I really like it when you have the manager who comes in and says, I need you, to, <clears throat> I need you guys to stay late and get this, this bug done because it's causing us a lot of problems. Um, and... I'm gonna go have dinner with my wife. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> yeah, th- those are the those are the good guys. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a wrench in into the game here into the into the situation that we're having, and now I'm going to ask you, Lee, is there would there be? And you don't have to tell me what it is, right? Because that might be too personal. But is there a dollar amount that would sustain you, even if it were? a crazy amount of overtime and not, not to the point where you weren't necessarily having to sleep in the office, but there was, you know, you were making X amount of dollars and could that, could that ever be high enough within the realm of reason, right? Because you could easily say, Oh, for $20 million a year, I would work 24 seven or something like that. But within the realm of a range of, of reality, of of reality, reality. the answer is basically no. Uh, I'm I'm too old for that. If I were if I were 20 years younger, maybe. Uh, if I didn't have a family and people that depended me on me for other things, then I would I would consider it. I, I can uh, I can do stuff for money, but uh, at my age, you know, it's not worth it. There's there's more to life than money. I completely agree. I think that you also get burnt out when you work that many hours to the point that you're not effective at learning and progressing your career forward. You pretty much, you get stuck in places like that because it's really hard for you 
to sell yourself to somebody else whenever you're completely fried all the time and you're not learning new things. I, I would challenge Lee here that and say, I actually don't think it has a, anything to do with your age. Uh, I think this is, I'd like to, I'd like to take this example of, of what Lee is, is stating and tie it back to sustainable t- pace on teams and say that this is why within Agile, sustainable pace is very important or it has been made very important by people that practice Agile. Uh, Amos made some very good points. If you, if you don't have that downtime to let your batteries rest, to recharge, to do interesting hobbies at home and, you know, let your mind explore things, have some creative time. So I was going to say play. Right, play. You, you, won't be a, you won't be as effective at work. And while you may be in there banging away, working the problem and putting the hours in, you're not going to be as effective as if you had that play time to rest. So I don't think Lee, in this case, necessarily would have all that much to do with the fact that you have a family, but it could have been maybe in your younger days you wanted to pursue higher education or you wanted, you wanted to place on a softball team because we don't work just to work. Work is not our sole motivation in life, right? I mean, we work so we can have money, so that we can spend time with families, play softball, pursue your hobbies, pursue your other activities in life, travel, all the things that make up life, and it's not just work. I grant you, I think we all enjoy the jobs that we do, in there, and that's one of the reasons why we go. But again, it's not the only thing that keeps us going every day. So um, I think for everyone, sustainable pace is very important, and I think if we tie this all back into sustainable pace, it makes a lot of sense when you when you look at it from the eyes of Lee as he's depicted it to us tonight. Well put, John. That's kind of where I was I was thinking as well. Okay, Amos, uh, you want to go next with either what what did I say? What what would you why would you leave, right? If if they did this to you or they did this on the team, then you would leave. Uh, all work for work must be done in the office. And I'm not talking about like you know, I have to have full-time remote work. What I'm saying is that there, you should. I want to be able to work from home sometimes. You know, I, I wake up at two o'clock in the morning and I have this idea. I want to be able to grab my laptop, log into work, um, and and maybe get it out just so that it's there because I need it out now. Um, or even then, just to be flexible. The flexibility of being able to say, "Hey, look, you know, my wife's sick." and my kids are sick, and I need to help take care of them today, I'd like to be able to work a couple hours while they're taking a nap and be able to work from home. That's interesting. And why, why really is that so important? Because in, in days gone by, in the not-so-recent past, there were jobs where, I mean, even in, in software development jobs, where you just couldn't work from home. I mean, either they didn't have the capability or it would be, you know, too onerous of a process where you would have to copy all your code onto floppy disks. <laughs> well, and I, and I think there are still those jobs out there. Like there's some government jobs where you might be working on some secret project or something and you would have to um, be able to be in the office full time in order to do anything. Uh, they're just not jobs that I would take. I, um, I, I think that you can do some effective stuff. I think 
being outside of where you might normally do your work uh, helps those creative juices and can help you do a really good job. And I, I just think that any place that I'm going to work should offer some flexibility and, and understanding or I don't want to be there. That's like a, I, I guess I want management to treat me the way that I would treat employees of mine, which is give them the flexibility to, to live their life. Is this really about being able to work from your home or work remotely, or is it about just having flexibility from an employer to take, let's say you, you had, let's say you had no ability to work from home because you had one of these situations, rare situations where you could only write code in this lab place. It was something secret that you're working on, you know, but at least the employer was flexible in terms of, Hey, if the kids were sick or wife's not feeling well, or you just need to take a day off, you can do those things without necessarily having to be able to work remotely or from home. Is that, would that be acceptable to you? Uh, I, I think it would, but like the big thing is really just the, um, you know, it's, it's different when we talk about like a secret stuff where you have to be inside of a lab that is inside a Faraday cage or whatever to work on it, uh, as opposed to just someone saying, there's no way anybody here can ever work from anywhere except for inside of here because I, I don't think it's effective. Like, it just feels, um, I, I don't know. It's just, I, I think that being able so, to get out builds some of the... So, Amos, it sounds to me like what you really want is your managers to trust you. Yes. I, I do. I feel like that whenever they want people in the office only to work, many times it is a trust issue. Because the guy sitting in the office, they think if he's in the office, he must be working, which often isn't true either. Um, and and I, you know, I've heard a lot about you know the there are other people talk about teams and um, team being tight and close and being able to work together really well. And they think that you need to be in the office in order to do that. And I, and I still think that full time in the office, no. Um, and I just that flexibility to let you sometimes be at home, I think would be something that I, there's no way I'm going to take that job. Okay, John, your turn. Okay. I was just going to make one last point that I think oh. Lee, you made a good point that it probably a, a lot equates back to trust and, and maybe a, a lack of, of trust, but trust is obviously one of those things that we've talked a lot about on the show in terms of, of being successful. I was so busy asking you guys the questions. I didn't I didn't think too much about what my answer was going to be. So I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you asked Lee and, and didn't let me off the hook. I think my so the practice that I would would cause me to what practice if if done would cause me to leave a team and believe it or not. I don't think I can go back to working in cubicles. Agreed. I, I've worked, and it's, it's, it's funny because I can't even remember when I had a cubicle or an office the last time. And I, I, it, it was actually funny because when I first started my career, uh, my first full-time job, I had an office. And it was, it was weird because it was just a, an old building where all there were was offices. So everybody got an office and I shared an office. But anyway, I, I digress. I can't remember the last time I actually worked in a cubicle. And I don't think I could, I think if I had to do that, I would kind of go a little, 
sideways crazy maybe. Um, and I'd spend half of my time. Wouldn't you guys too spend like half of your time all day, like running around to talk to the various people? I, I feel like I need to talk to so many people throughout the day and all those people are massed together in a, in an open workspace. Usually we're wherever I'm at and having a cubicle would like unbelievably, um, destroy my productivity. So I would have to say cubicle, having to live in a cube farm, <laughs> having to be a gopher in a cube farm would probably be the worst thing that I can think of right now. Especially the beige and gray cubicles. Oh, yeah. Those are... That, that's gross. an interesting one. Because yeah, the, the, I was in a, an office before I uh, came to my current job uh, over six years ago. And I went from having my own office to uh, uh, and basically being able to work on whatever I wanted to work on um, as long as I could manage to convince people to give me money for it um, and went to a place where there were no cubicles. There was no, you didn't even have your own computer, right? Because everybody had, uh, had shared systems. And if you wanted to make a phone call, you pretty much had to step away and, uh, and go find some some empty space someplace and make a phone call. And I would never want to go back to the office thing. It's really weird how liberating it is when you jam yourself in with a bunch of people and you're really close together and you have no private area anymore. For me, yeah. I just take over the desks anyway and pile all my crap on them. <laughs> hey, look, there's pictures of my family on every desk in the war room. <laughs> What's so uh, the other thing that I, th I think is interesting about that, John, is that... Um, I don't know if the open open floor concepts came out of lean or not, but to me, they go so closely hand in hand um, that the whole one of the whole concepts behind lean is having things right where you need them, right to facilitate effective and efficient communication or work uh, work patterns, that sort of thing. So uh, your your uh, blank paper should be right next to your printer so you don't have to go to some storeroom to get paper. All that kind of little teensy crap that people don't think about how important it is. But then when you're in a situation and you've got all these people that you need to communicate with and they're all right next to you, that becomes so efficient and, and uh, really to me speaks to the lean, the whole lean uh, concept. What's funny about this is that I'm so... I'm so, uh, this is such an important item to me because I've put it out there as my, it's the thing that would cause me to leave somewhere. But there are people, you're either, you're in, you're on one pole or the other on this issue. There's almost no in between. You either love it or hate it. There's very few people that are like, oh yeah, I could do it either way. There, you know, literally there are people that have, I've seen that have turned jobs down because they were going to have to work in a, a co-located shared open space or because they weren't going to have their own computer or own, their own telephone or I've, their own cubicle. I've never met anybody in those situations that have worked in that though. I've seen a lot of people say, Oh, I, I don't, I can't, I could never do that, but they never have. You mean they never accepted an opportunity to do it. They just said, I yep. can't do it because they never tried. Right. Uh, most of the people that I know, even the ones that say, like, I've, I've met people that said, I could never do that. And then once they started doing it, they don't want to go back. No, I, I absolutely have had people 
that started off, they were on a team. We transformed a team, took the team from cubicles to open space areas. And they're like, this isn't going to work for me. And they'd get up and they would, they'd come in, they'd sit down, they'd be there for stand up or whatever you did. And then they would leave and go back to their cubicle. And then it was like a battle, battle royale, you know? That's crazy. When was the last time you saw a movie where a guy, I was a disgruntled employee and wasn't in a cube? I don't know. I don't see a lot of movies. I I mean, I worked for the post office and we were in cubes and I can tell you exactly why people shoot that place up. (laughs) It's, it's all about the cubicles. It's the cubicle. It's not because of the, it's not because of, it's not because of the, uh, unionized software developer that's asleep at his. Actually, that's my practice. We need to go rewrite mine. Uh, I would (laughs) never go back to a place that has a union ever, 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 ever. Even I didn't have to pay to be in the union and I still got the benefits of the union. I will never, ever, 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 ever go back to a place that has a union. Ever. You, you think ever, he's going to go back, Lee? Um, I don't know. I'm not clear, quite clear on he's it. He's kind of on the fence. I will seriously go flip burgers at McDonald's before I would go back to a place that had a union. Although that may be one that has a price. I, I think the burger flippers <laughs> at McDonald's have a union. <laughs> oh, never mind. Forget that. I didn't mean to stir up such a sore topic with with Amos on unions, but again, I, I think that having open workspaces are very important. Lee, I like what you said about lean and having all of the things that you need to do the job right there. And in our case, all of the things are usually the people that we're doing the work with, right? So you really want all of those people right there. A long time ago, I wrote this. I wrote this article because I wrote this blog post. Because all because I'm going to tell you the truth, guys, all because I wanted to use a, a $5 word. Okay. But the <laughs> blog post had defenestration. No, sorry. Just looking for the $5 word. I'm going to tell you what it is. Okay, good. If you would just let me talk. Shh, shh, shh. Hey, Lee, stop talking so much. <laughs> yeah, it's all Lee. We, we want John to tell Ceno us. Palantine, ganglio, ganglio neuralgia. <laughs> Are you sure that's a word? I, who am, it, it is a word. You know what it means? No. It, it's it's the technical term for brain freeze. <laughs> like brain freeze from drinking an icy? Yeah, exactly. Oh. My- Stenopalatine ganglio neuralgia. Ouch. That that word just makes my brain freeze hurt. <laughs> I'm sorry, John. Anyway, right. $5 blog post. I'm, I don't know. I might have to edit this part out because it... No, you cannot edit this out. We're, this is why people listen to this because we're... It is? We're fun. I, I need, think so. I need my Merlin Mann uh, ring the bell thing because he does that all the time. You don't know who Merlin Mann is? Nope. Oh, my God. Okay. I'll, I'll fix him later. Anyway, my $5 word, back to my $5 word story, was propinquity. And you were worried about my word? What the hell is that? <laughs> propinquity. <laughs> I, I almost don't want to tell everybody because I want them to go look it up, but... um. I'm not sure I can I'm I'm not sure I can give you a succinct definition but propinquity is is kind of a, a thing that affects your your communication patterns and it's based on distance right so if someone is if someone sits right next to you will you will talk to them a lot if someone sits uh in the cubicle or the workspace over from you you'll talk to them a little bit less and the further away they are 
the less and less and less that you talk to them. And so propinquity is all about, uh, the, the title of the article, Amos, was is propinquity killing your, your team or your project or something? It was just so I could use the word propinquity. Nice. I like that. <laughs> I, I would, uh, I, I think I'm going to have to remember that word. You, you could drop it. It's a great consultant word, right? Because you could drop that statement on a, on a, a team and ask them, you need to think about is propinquity killing your project? <laughs> Problem is, is every time I hear you say the word, uh, I get this vision of, of uh, pinky from pinky in the brain. And I just want to say, Narf. <laughs> what are we going to do tonight, brain? I never actually saw that show. So, like, so I, I find that, that, you know, you talked about the distance there. I, I think part of it is also the openness that you have in the office. So, um, right. it's, it's easy to not talk to the guy you can't see. Right. So, uh, in an open office, that guy that's in the next cube or three cubes down, even if you don't have cubes, you just have desks sitting out there. Even if you're not like a war room team, you're going to talk to these people because you see them all the time. That guy four cubes away, you just don't visually see him ever. And you forget, right? You forget about people because you don't see them regularly. I know some people that I'd like to have them in a cubicle when I'm not, so I can forget about You'd them. You'd like to forget about them? Yeah. Yeah. I'll be sure to put my link to my $5 word propinquity in the show notes and I'll also put the a link to my blog post in there so you guys can can go and see. I think it actually ended up being a good article even though I just wanted to write it because of the word. Now you know now y'all know my dirty my dirty little secrets. You know what else is important on teams? Continuous deployment. And codeship makes continuous deployment simple. So Amos is laughing because I think that was a good segue. Yeah, it was the best transition I've ever heard. I, I, I think continuous deployment is one of those issues that I would put out there as if we didn't do it, if we didn't do continuous deployment, it would be an issue. And I've been thinking a lot about continuous deployment and a lot about code ship, particularly lately, because I've, I've been doing some writing on some things. And continuous deployment is one of those things that I think teams can't do without. And there's there's some tooling that you have to have in some way, shape, or form to facilitate continuous deployment. You can't just do it all manually, right? Right. So to me, CodeShip is like the perfect solution for continuous deployment. They wire in with all the cloud technologies out there, all the popular pro programming languages, um, all of the, uh, what am I missing? All of the, the services, cloud services I mentioned, all of the frameworks, it's all of the database stuff that they're just real simple to work with. If there's something out there that they don't already have some integrations for, you can write your own. I believe that if I had anybody in my sales funnel that I was talking to that said, oh yeah, we're using CodeShip, uh, I would probably drop everyone else out of my sales funnel and focus on that person because I'm pretty sure that if they're doing continuous deployment, that when I come in, this is going to be an awesome job and a fun job, and we're gonna we're gonna make some really great software. That's a great point. And the guys at CodeShip, if you want to get Amos on your team and you want to get started with CodeShip, the good folks at CodeShip will help you out. They have a great blog. It's blog.codeship.io. They've got amazing videos out there for helping you get started with your projects, uh, showing you some advanced features within their offering as well as wiring up to all of the services that they integrate with. Software development's hard enough, guys. Let CodeShip make continuous deployment simple for you. 
Check them out today at codeship.io slash thisagilelife and tell them that we sent you. If you do have CodeShip, I am currently actually looking for uh, some clients, so I will jump right on your team. There you go. If you have CodeShip, call Amos. All right, guys, let's take another, another, uh, another stride at this, An, a different approach, a different angle. I was trying to think of a $5 word for this, but nothing came to mind, so fail. What practices, we'll start with Amos this time, so get ready, Amos. So what practice, if the team was not doing it, would cause you to leave? So something that... So you, what practice is a requirement for me to Requirement. Stay? Good way of putting it. Retrospectives. Why? I'd like to add like 10 more requirements here, but we're going to start with retrospectives. Sure. Uh, retrospectives uh, are there to help the team change and improve. Whatever practices you don't have that I think that you need, maybe we'll come out in that retrospective. Or maybe your team really doesn't need them, but we'll find that out through talking and through retrospective and through the continuous improvement that comes out of that. I think that retrospectives not only find those practices, but they also are fantastic at team building, especially once you get that team to to be open and honest with each other in that retrospective. It builds trust, it builds communication, and it helps us just improve. So retrospectives are it. That That is the end all and be all for me. I don't think anybody on this podcast would disagree with you on that, but let, let's, let's just play this out. It's a perfect job. It's a perfect company. It's the perfect salary from all external appearances, Amos. It's your dream job, right? You can work from home. It's Ruby ish stuff and fun stuff and and whatever whatever is right now within Amos's wheelhouse of perfect job. But the manager, the 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 project lead says the one thing we don't do is retrospectives. We feel like we're good enough as it is, is. Is it we don't do or we won't do? Yeah, it's both of those. We don't and we won't. Well, I, I think that no matter how perfect it seems, if they're not trying to continuously improve through through those things, then I, I'm going to say that it won't be long before that job doesn't seem so perfect. So it's not just from your perspective, retrospective, because retrospective is the manifestation, is a manifestation of, a way to work on continuous improvement. Your thing is really the heart of your concern is a lack of de- dedication, a lack of commitment to continuous improvement. It, it, yeah, and that communication. I think that 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 one place of of safety. Yes, you can have a, a an entire company of safety where you can say anything you want at any point in time, but a lot of people in most cultures aren't going to say anything until you pull them into that room and, and like give them, this is your time for a voice, unfortunately. You said retrospective, so let's stick to retrospective. And let's say that there's, there's no retrospectives. We're absolutely not going to do any retrospectives, but they claim that they have other ways that they're going about doing continuous improvement. First of all, I'd like to know if you've ever experienced formal or informal other ways that projects, people, teams, companies work on continuous improvement? And then if so, could those some of these practices possibly be used rather than retrospectives? Oh, you mean like a yearly review of an employee? 
Yeah, it, yeah, that's a that's a perfect example. <laughs> uh, did you just sorry? Did you just have sorry. a hairball or throw uh, up? <laughs> something, something caught in my throat. Yeah, um, you think that counts as continuous improvement of one year? No, I don't even think when they do them. I've seen quarterly. I don't. I, I, I don't know. That whole review system doesn't seem to work for me. I've had quite a few ideas on on how to improve that. Um, but haven't been able to put a lot of them into practice at a lot of companies. Um, but I, I, I think that whole review system is kind of messed up. What about what do you think, Lee? I mean, what about something like um, you, you read the book The Toyota Way, and as did I, and right. and they don't they don't have retrospectives, right? But they have they have other things like they do those those uh, they do those big sheets of paper where they say we found this problem and. And then they do. Um, was it the uh, the A threes? Is that what A threes and Kaizen? Yeah. Right. Yeah. They use Kaizens to come up with ways to improve, and all the executives and all the senior leaders have to have uh, mentors or what do they call them? Um, they didn't call them mentors. They call um, them something else, like some something something Asian martial artish, like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Like I have no idea, but that was I, cracking me up. All I can think of is dojo, but that's not the right word. Sensei, I, I forget. Oh, I, I, I know exactly yeah. where you're going with that, and uh, I I think that the point you made, John, is is probably really the key, at least for me. And and I think Amos would probably agree too. It really is about about improvement here, and so I think that that uh, just like we have with. Um, where we, we don't really think that there are agile practices, so to speak. There are agile is kind of a philosophy, and uh, part of the part of what's great about agile is that in, it encourages you to redefine what agile is based on what works for your team. So, to me, as long as there is that kind of a of a mix of being able to to change the process and to change the team for the better, hopefully. Uh, over time, then then things can evolve, and I don't need any particular uh, practice to be able to do that, be that retrospectives or anything else. Um, but I think the sentiment that retrospectives and the the whole uh, idea of continuous improvement brings out, I think that's what what Amos is really trying to get out here. But you know, I don't want to put words in Amos's no, mouth. No, you can put those words in my mouth exactly. Like if they come to me and say, we don't have retrospectives, but we do these other things, I want to hear about those other things and I might be willing to to take it, but I really want to understand what those other things are and in a in-depth way. Uh, and, and I also have to say service. that at least on the last team that I was on, one of the things I think we did moderately well is we said, don't wait for a retrospective. Um, if we're going to have a retrospective every week, every two weeks, whatever, I think on that team, it was once every two weeks. Um, we, we, I, if something came up the day after the retrospective, I don't want to wait for two weeks until uh, uh, to, to get that handled. And I think the team did that pretty well. When there was a, a specific issue that they wanted to deal with, they would have a turnaround. And if necessary, we would, we would go find a room and do an impromptu retrospective without a facilitator. And those worked really well, as long as there was something that the team really wanted to hash out. And that's what I would be looking for in terms of support from an organization is support for that continuous improvement, spending the time, 
and not talking about taking training, right? I'm talking about the stuff of every day, dealing with the everyday problems and being allowed to take that time. Where's the team? Where'd the team go? Oh my God, the team, they're, they're not there. Well, they're, they're down the hall. They're, they're hashing some things out. Well, get them out of there. We need them back at their desk. You know, it's a, giving them that space where you could say, they let the team work through these issues, find ways to continuously improve. And I think we need, I am, I'm trying to encourage people to think beyond purely retrospectives to a broader approach uh, for continuous improvement. Because I think that what, what's happening in some cases is that, especially with Amos's favorite five-letter word, scrum, people go through these motions. <laughs> and I still think that there's a little bit of value in at least going through and exercising the muscles involved with, with doing these ceremonies. But you need to get to a point where it's more than just getting together, going through the exercises, going through the, the game that you're going to play to conduct the retrospective. There has to be more to it. There has to, you can't just have people going through those motions long-term because they just become roboticized to it, if you will. They, they, they know what you're looking for. They, ex- they know that you're expecting them to give some, a couple of tidbits of we could do this better and we could do that better, but that there's a, a point where they they start to become numb to it because it's the same thing Are over and over again. Are you some sustenance in your retrospective? Some sustenance? Yeah, like some meat to it. Something, right, something right. Something there for you. Um, I, I think that's where you get, you know, I think a team needs to start out with it, it you know, uh, I'm trying to think, an external retrospective facilitator at least to start um, or and one that is really good at that because I think once you get them going, it's fine. I also uh, have kind of a theory that I've seen on most teams and that that is you need to have the same number of retrospectives slash iterations, whatever you want to call it, as people on the team before the team really starts to gel because it seems to take that many. And when you add a new person to the team, it really seems to take about that many again before that person really gets into the fold and starts being open and honest and and understanding that there is this trust level in the team because that's really what you're doing from day one is starting to build trust. Yeah, and I've heard you say that before. I'm just saying that I want teams and people to start thinking about continuous improvement daily, hourly, and and not just saving it all up for the retrospective, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so we we went way down the rabbit hole on your your topic (laughs) of of retrospective. Well, I think we're all a little bit passionate about uh, improving, and I think that we've, I think all of us have been facilitators multiple times. Agree. We, we, we do all believe that retrospectives are very important here on this Agile Life. So, Lee, what's your practice that, uh, if you were, what, what, how did Amos put it? He put it well. If it was, uh, if it was not done, if it was, if the practice was was not going to occur on the team, it would cause you to leave. Um, I would have to say test-driven development. It's not Friday fish tacos. Amos. Oh, sorry. I, I typed that into our document for Lee. What, what was yours again, Lee? Sorry. Test-driven development. Okay. Um, TDD, ooh, a very controversial topic lately on the on the Twitterverse and in our community. I, I know, I know. The uh, uh, I'm not sure exactly why it's quite so uh, controversial. To me, uh, I, see, I see the benefit, benefit of it on a daily basis. 
and it makes it makes it so that uh, I have no fear about leaving code at the end of the day, even if I'm going to be gone the next day, because I know that that uh, everything that I wrote is covered with tests. It's well documented. Therefore, I've refactored it on a regular basis. It's as clean as I can make it. Um, that doesn't mean that somebody else can't make it better. Uh, and that's kind of why I love being on uh, teams and and uh, in that kind of a atmosphere with pairing as well. But sorry, I'm jumping the gun here. Um, uh, TDD to me is, is just kind of the the way that makes sense and the way that feels right about coding. Um, I do it personally if, if I'm writing code. It's not like I just have to do it in a team either. For me, it just, it just um, uh, I can't see myself coding without it any longer. I, I always try to ask people whenever they tell me, oh, you don't have to TDD, you just have to test, or, or even you don't always have to test, is can you tell me the benefits of test after or not testing at all? that are greater than the ones of TDD? And then can you give me the ones of, t of test first? So w which which one has the greater good? And I don't find a lot of people saying that anything is greater about not testing or even test after. They're not like, oh, well, you get this benefit. They're just like, well, it's easier for me to do, think about. I'm in, I'm in the same boat as Lee. And I was going to ask you, Lee, because I think that this is the litmus test for every... Every person out there that, that says they're a staunch believer, supporter of TDD is when you're alone by yourself writing code on your hobby project or whatever, do you use TDD? And you said you would. Yeah. And, and I, I do as well. I have, a, I have a couple of projects that I've worked on on my own or with a friend or something, and it's always been TDD. It's actually to the point for me anyway, and I don't know how you guys feel about this. It's it's one of these things where I don't I almost don't remember how to go about it otherwise. And it's just like muscle memory. It's like the test comes first. You know, there goes the test. I wrote the test. Now I write the code. And if I don't do that, it's like weird and and scary, right? And that's that's the key. For me, it was always the scary thing. It was like, so, I, so I just got finished teaching a, uh, a TDD class and I used the following analogy because I had one of the students say, you know, I, I totally see the benefit of this and uh, it feels it feels right. Um, but uh, it, it also it just it's I'm not sure if I can keep this up, you know, because of the la the, the level of discipline necessary to do test driven development and. The, the analogy I gave was, well, how do you uh, position your side mirrors on your car? I'm willing to bet that you do it incorrectly. So, and, and the way, the way you, most people do it is they, they position their side mirrors so that they can just barely see the edge of their car, right? And according to uh, experts in driving, uh, in particular, the car talk guys on NPR, um, their way <laughs> of doing like this, it, it, and I, I adopted it. Um, you basically adjust your mirrors so that as, as a car is leaving your center rearview mirror, you can see the front of, of the car in your side mirror, if it's appropriate to whatever side they're coming down, uh, coming by you at. Um, and then as they're leaving your side mirror, you can see them. Uh, out of your periphery, 
And so there's never a blind spot. So I, I tell people this and say, it's going to feel really weird. It's going to feel um, scary at the beginning to, uh, to do this. And you got to do it. Just do it and do it for two weeks. If you do it for two weeks and, and just force yourself to do it after that point, it, that's the only way you could ever feel your, uh, adjust your mirrors ever again, because you will be scared to death of missing something because you will realize where your blind spots are. To me, TDD was the same way. Once I started doing it, I was so aware of all the blind spots that I used to have that I no longer have. So you're minimizing blind spots. Exactly. I think that's a great analogy. Um, do you think you, you mentioned two weeks and that was for the adjustment of the mirrors? Yeah. What do you think the, in your personal experience, Lee, being that you, you teach, you've gone through the learning process of TDD. What do you think the normal uptake time is for a person to go from, I don't understand it, then understanding it, and then ultimately to the point where they feel like, I can't live without doing it this way? I, I think it takes about a month of doing it every day and not slipping. I, I, I think it has a lot to do with uh, who's around you, who's taught you, and, and because I've seen some really bad TDD. And, that's that's true, and that's where I see people being like, "I don't need to use this," is because they've been, they haven't had good mentors, and so I think you need a, a month with good TDD people around you. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree, Amos. Good point. That was going to be you mentioned mentor Amos, and that was going to be the point I wanted to make to this because when I had the opportunity to learn TDD and then use it in my in my job, it was actually a requirement of where I was working that you were assigned you were assigned a mentor and you were expected from the moment when you graduated from the class that you would you would write all of your code TDD following a TDD uh, mechanism. And then a mentor would come by every so often to pair with you for an hour and then provide you with guidance and feedback and tips and help help keep you on the rails. I, I didn't think, I, so that was a good practice because it was nice to have that mentor come around. It, but it, it felt a little bit um, like Big Brother was watching me. So I didn't really like the implementation of mentor and I like the way you were describing it more, Amos, where it was the folks on the team, right? That you had a supportive uh, nest in your team to help you mentor you in, in your team environment where it was a daily thing. It was a lot, it'd be a lot easier that way to help support uh, the uptake of TDD in someone. And imagine if you were doing that all the time with pairing where you constantly had a mentor and were a mentor. That, that would be like the uh, just a doubler effect almost, right? That's where I exactly. think I became effective i was already doing tdd before i was pairing and then once i started pairing like i think that my TDD skills and the i'm also going to do it on my home projects where i'm just playing around um is like that's where it came from it's just that push of of everyone around me and showing me uh all those blind spots that even doing tdd i didn't realize i had because i was doing parts of it wrong or missing big pieces of it 
okay, so I guess it's it's down to me again. And uh, I feel strongly about TDD as well, Lee. Although I, I don't think it would, I don't think that particular practice would necessarily push me over the edge because I, I have to admit that there are teams that I've worked on and with in the past fifteen years since I learned TDD uh, where we haven't haven't used that. So that that didn't push me necessarily over the edge. But I think if if I was not able to work in small increments and small I don't want to I don't even want to say iterations because that would confine myself to some sort of iteration based approach. But just in small increments or or with continuous flow, I think that that might be a deal breaker for me now. I, I can't see myself going back to working in a way where you know we had some sort of three month or six month target or God forbid year target where we said, you know, we're going to develop this thing and, and, and release it in a year. I just don't think that I could go back to working in a way, to working in that way, to that old project management style of, of working. So small increments for me would be, would be the deal breaker. But no Nat charts. I mean, Gantt charts. Nat charts? Nat charts. Nat's ass. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it's got to be small increments of work. I think I, I got to admit that would probably be the one one of those things that would drive me away too, Amos. If uh, if suddenly uh, my manager came out and said, "Here's the next project we're doing," and they laid it all in a Gantt chart and uh, and said, "Here's I already did all your estimates for you. Here's the date where you're going to deliver oh, oh, it." That's the worst is when they say that they've <laughs> done the estimates for you. Uh, yeah, these are small, medium, and large. How many hours is a medium? And oh, by the way, this needs to be done next month. <laughs> and we've already we've already told the customer that this is when they're going to get it. Do you um, guys feel like you could, given okay, taking the Gantt chart off of the table for a second? <laughs> well, that's why it's a Nat chart, is because every story should be so small and thin that you can't even see it on the Gantt chart. It's like Nat crap, right, on the Gantt chart. So it's even smaller than a Nat. Yes, Nat crap chart. Nat crap chart. Yeah, thinly, very thinly sliced stories are Nat crap. I believe chart. that we Something. might have a show title. <laughs> Yay! Could you guys work without small increments of work, or without continuous flow, or without you know small delivery cycles? No, it's like it's super frustrating. <laughs> are you doing it? Uh, I, I are you being forced to do it? Have I, you have I, been? I have been, um, and recently, and it took a lot of work to change that. Uh, but the team and the management has seen benefits behind it so they're they're moving forward working in those small increments so that's really nice i just think that there are so many bad side effects one of not releasing with a, a frequency and two lurk, working in these long cycles i mean you know there's i'm just embroiled in something at the moment that i can't talk a lot about but that it is so, so painful to release because it is so large. And it it's not even that it's a long time of work. It's just that there are so many contributors and there's so much complexity in what gets done that the the only way to solve it is to release all the time. Just always be releasing. A-B-R. Always <laughs> be releasing. I have to say, I always go back, uh, I won't say always, but I'll uh, I parrot Amos a lot 
uh, on that same kind of thing, uh, John, about uh, if there's something that is painful, do it often. Yeah. And oh, oh yeah. That was a, that was an Amosism. I would not doubt that I said that, but I probably stole it from somebody else. So I'm sorry, whoever you are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think that's all we have time for in terms of of talking about these practices, but. I don't want to end this conversation because it, I'm having so much fun with it. Maybe we can encourage all of our friends out there listening to chat us up on Twitter and let us know. You can answer either of the two questions, right? So the two questions were, what practice, if done on a team, would cause you to leave that team? Let us know if you have any of those. Or conversely, if you have a practice that if it wasn't done on your team, it would cause you to leave the team or very strenuously want to leave the team. Maybe you're stuck, right? Because you need a paycheck. But uh, let us know what these practices or um, what do you think? What, I, I want to say that all of these are individually, you know, we, we kind of have said this would cause me to leave a team. And it may not really. These are really just a set of warning signs. What are your warning signs of a good team and your warning signs of a bad team? Like a team that you would want to be on and a team that you wouldn't want to be on. Let's just say if any of these things were happening, I would be floating some resumes. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't mean I would go anywhere. But. I would see LinkedIn open on your browser a lot. <laughs> there you go. All right. So tweet us up at this agile life and let us know if you have any thoughts. This week's hottest picks. All right, Lee, you're up first tonight with your pick. Okay, first off, I want to uh, plug a fellow podcaster, um, and really nice guy, all-around smart dude, Luther Baker. Uh, he has a new site uh, which uh, where you can get links to his uh, podcast as well. And in the show notes, we'll have the link to his to the iTunes podcast page. But anyway, it, his website is at www.effectiveprogramming.com. That's E-F-F, uh, effective, not A. Um, and, uh, my, that's, that's a, a really cool podcast that I've been listening to. He's got a few episodes up already, uh, and very cool stuff more, especially for those people that are really into the, the coding and, uh, and some of the technical details is much more on that side than, uh, than the philosophy, but he gets into that too. Uh, really cool stuff. So check him out. Um, the other thing that I've got is this one's more. I follow programming.com on Google Plus, and uh, they, they commonly put out some, some very funny stuff, uh, some, some useful things, but mostly it's, it's humorous stuff. So uh, I encourage you to check out programming.com on Google Plus for a laugh a day. So it's, it's humorous stuff, Lee? Is that what you get out well, of programming.com? Mostly, mostly it's humorous stuff, yeah. So like that, uh, that image I sent you guys earlier about uh, uh, the, the Android and the Ordroid and, and yeah, that was, that was all from programming.com. Oh, very cool. I'm going to have to circle them or whatever you do on Google+. I'm not sure. Something like that. <laughs> okay, uh, Amos, we're throwing it over to you for your picks, man. All right, so I've got three picks for you tonight. Uh, first one is Docracy. It's fantastic if you ever have any uh, 
any legal work that you need done. It's just it's like LegalZoom, but uh, free. There's lots of documents out there uh, that people have, have put up, and you can even get documents signed in there. So if you're a consultant or a freelancer, it's a fantastic place to at least go look. Maybe you don't have to use them, but you it gives you an idea of what you're looking for. My second one is Amazon Prime. Uh, it's, it's just, you know, free shipping, get all my stuff, plus they have movies and music. It, it's, uh, it's my free time place to go, even though I don't have much of that. Uh, and then my, my last is Ruby D Camp, which is a free unconference um, put on by Evan Light in Virginia, where you go out and you go, you go camping for a couple days. They have uh, a day of like planning and, and an open spaces conference, and then a hack day um, where they, uh, you split off and, and work on the, uh, the game of life. All, all day so it's it's pretty interesting and it's all out in the woods you get to sleep on a cot and hang out and it's all free paid for by its sponsors out in the woods yeah it'd be awesome uh i don't like the woods it, it, it forces you to talk to people instead of uh looking on google for your answers well how- and all your bugs you can just slap them off <laughs> <laughs> like mosquitoes how, how do you have a conference in the woods. Well, I guess this isn't a conference. I, I've right? done this before. It's an unconference. It's an unconference, but I've done this is before. It, is an unconference like a thing? Can I can I go look at how to do an unconference, or is an unconference just everything that a conference is not? I, I believe that uh, you can search for this on Google and find a couple of unconferences, and and I'm pretty sure Evan Light's a good guy. He'll he'll probably talk to you about it. Where is the where is it being held at? Virginia, the woods uh, of Virginia. Um, I can't remember. Let me look real quick. In the shadow of the uh, Pentagon. Pause. <laughs> uh, so Lee, uh, I'm really I was really disappointed while while Amos is looking up where Ruby D Camp is. I was disappointed that I wasn't able to stick around at the Agile 2014 Agile Games 2014. Because yeah. I didn't get to, I didn't get to participate in the open spaces thing, and I'm very interested in. Oh, that's that's what they have here. Yeah, like I, I didn't day. stick around either. I was gone the next morning. It's in. So the I missed it too. Prince yeah. William National Forest Park. Prince William. So it's not like random creepy guys' backyard. Yeah, but, but you're not allowed to poach any animals on the on the prince's forest. <laughs> it's not like being in Amos's backyard at. Free unconference, Amos. Yeah, we just shoot things and then program. <laughs> okay, good picks, Amos. Programming and eating possum. I, I just don't understand. I mean, do they have internet and power outlets? And I'm gonna have to find out more about this. I don't know. You're gonna have to look. I encourage you to do the same. Here are my picks tonight. So, long while back, I actually didn't have a chance to look. I'm, I may have mentioned this uh, this tool or this site before. But it was in a, it was in like a private beta, and I was not part of that, so I'm not trying to sound like a douche or anything. But uh, it's called Croc Agile, and it's a new tool slash collaboration slash communication tool site for projects, and it's it's Kanban style boards and stories, and it takes a lot of the things that you see in the very popular tools today. And does kind of a base camp sort of puts sort of some base camp functionality in there. And if you've ever used base camp, you know there's a lot of real time communication and message boarding sort of stuff in there. And so it it's if if I had to if I had to put 
kind of a metaphor around it, I'd say it's like Lean Kit plus Basecamp. So check it out. I think they now have an open beta, and um, I think you can also purchase subscription. Check them out, crocagile.com. And, of course, I'm going to put my $5, a link to my $5 Word article in here on Propinquity. The title is Pro... Is pro, <laughs> pro is a lack of propinquity killing your project or something like that, but I'll put that up out there for you guys and you can have fun with that. All right, guys. Well, that's all we have time for today. Check out thisagilelife.com for our show notes and for all of our past episodes. Thanks for listening and keep living this agile life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.